Richmond Parkway, across from Eugene Hyman, came out 605 Henry, Mike 35. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Portman County EMS Training Division Podcast. I am your host, Lieutenant Javier Dolorosa, and joining me on the podcast today virtually, again, uh, thanks to COVID, is a very special guest. Um, if you don't know who she is, you really should. Dr. Osborne, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I don't, I don't know that everyone should know who I am. I absolutely I disagree. <laughs> I think they should. So why don't you give us a little about your background and uh, how you got into emergency medicine and where you are today? Sure. So... I grew up in South Carolina, did all of my training for medical school and residency there in South Carolina and got involved in um, EMS, at least during residency. Um, I'm not a prior paramedic or EMT, so I can't claim that um, at this point, but I did start doing EMS right along, started flying with flight crews in South Carolina, and then ultimately got involved in tactical medicine while I was in residency, um, and that was where my medical direction piece started. I was the assistant medical director for sheriff's department there in South Carolina and went through the police academy and um, continued with them actually through the first couple of years, through the first couple of years of being here in Houston. Um, I moved to Houston in 2016 to do the EMS fellowship at the University of Texas in the Houston Fire Department. And then uh, I graciously stayed on and accepted a position as a medical director at the University of Texas. So currently, I am an emergency medicine physician teaching mostly at Memorial Harmon in the medical center. And um, and then my other job or my other part of my job is that I provide medical direction for uh, a couple of ground EMS agencies in town. And then uh, recently, in the last 18 months, took over as medical director of Memorial Harmon Life Life. Well, that's an impressive resume, and I'm glad we stole you from South Carolina. Um, but it's kind of... Uh, Dovetailing onto that, last year you said, and you mentioned it, you were named the medical director of Memorial Harmon Life Light, replacing the, the late historic, uh, by the way, birthday anniversary week of, of Dr. Red Duke. What did it feel like to follow in such uh, massive, and, and I'll say it figuratively and literally, right, of massive footsteps? Sure. Um, goodness gracious. Uh, I am actually thankful there was a brief interim between Dr. Duke and myself so that he was able to step into those boots first, Dr. Joe Love is the one that was there just briefly after Duke, and then I came on after after Love. Um, but as we all know, I mean, Red Duke started the program in the, in the 1970s, and um, he really took an idea of taking care to the site of the injured patient, because initially it was all uh, conceived based on trauma care, um, and uh, taking it out of the hospital, out of the OR, and moving it to the to the side of the patient on the side of the road, which was almost a thought that was unheard of. It was one of the first EMS, helicopter EMS agencies to be created in the entire country. And so those are huge shoes to fill. Um, and not only did he start the program, but he continued to advance it. So it wasn't like he, uh, you know, built it and then just kind of let it uh, coast. He was continuing to push the, the envelope as far as pre-hospital care goes and and advanced pre-hospital guidelines for flight crews. And so when I came on board, I mean, thankfully, they, the crews are already, you know, as, as good as what you see today. It's not anything that I've done uh, to make them the, the elite flight crews that they are. Um, it's it's really from his legacy. So it's, it's been daunting. It's been a big task to step into those shoes. Um, it is uh, very humbling to be compared to Dr. Duke. I'm not a trauma surgeon. 
Um, and I don't have the experience that he had by the time that he, you know, passed away, but, um, but it's, it's a, it's a big honor. It's a, it's an honor to be a part of a program of story that's from the bottom of my flight. And I'm reminded of that every day that I walk through those doors. It's, uh, it's almost a pinch me moment every time I'm in the office. I, I kind of don't believe I get paid to do the job that I do. Um, and when I get the, the actual time to get out of the helicopter and, and walk with my crews, alongside my crews, it's, it's in, it's the, it's one of my most favorite things that I do. So I'm, I'm incredibly lucky and fortunate to do what I do. And uh, yeah, we're, we're fortunate to have you here in the Houston area. Again, joining me on the podcast today is Dr. Leslie Osborne. We're talking about leadership uh, and, and we're going to get into some leadership kind of things. Um, I, I don't think anyone would argue that, you, that you're a very talented leader. Uh, so that's what we're talking about today. So we're kind of going to get into it a little bit more. You currently lead a group of very highly talented uh, flight crews, so flight nurses and medics, along with several ground EMS agencies. What have you learned in your tenure uh, when you're dealing with strong type A personalities? Oh, gosh, I think that that's difficult, right? I think almost all of us that go into EMS and emergency medicine, um, it's probably more the norm that, that you've got type A personalities and less of the norm that, that you don't. And so, yeah, I think that there are always personality characteristics that, that will um, sometimes create challenges as a leader. Um, but I actually find type A personalities to be a good challenge. I think that that our flight crews, the, the personnel that we recruit as flight nurses and flight paramedics are incredibly intelligent, forward-thinking providers. And if my clinicians can't uh, think for themselves and can't make clinical decisions on the fly based off of all their education and their training, then I think that we will struggle. And so I welcome the type A personality. Obviously, not everyone is. And I think as a type A leader, which I think I am, it's been an interesting challenge for myself of learning how to step into this role and be a leader for that group. One of the best things that I think one of my mentors taught me before I took over at this position is, you know, despite being a type A leader, I need to step back and listen. And so I think a lot of us get in and we want to talk. I love to talk. But really the, the challenge was forcing myself to get into the position, step back, listen to my crews, uh, fly with my crews, see what they need, see what their challenges are. Um, see what they want from a leader and what they want from an educator and then give it six months, give it a year and then start making changes. And I think that's probably the most difficult thing, but as a leader, you've got to get in another organization. And so uh, I think being patient has been probably my biggest challenge over the last year. And now we're 18 months in and I, I, I hope and think my crews trust me and, and vice versa. I would have any of my flight crews take care of my family members or myself. And I think that's a big statement. And so I think, yeah, I think type A personalities are drawn to the field and I welcome them. But I think that we have to learn how to work together and how to lead each other. And it's, it is uh, not uncommon that I learn uh, probably more from my flight crews than they do from me on a daily basis. And, and you said something there that was really interesting to me. When we talk about leadership, it's one of the greatest attributes and personality traits that we find in leaders is that they can listen. They have the ability to actively listen and then, and then ask questions. And, and I think that's really good that you touched on that. So looking... From the outside, historically, it looks like you lead from the front. You were, you mentioned it, a reserve sheriff's deputy in Richland County in South Carolina. Then you became the medical director of their tactical EMS team. Um, you still serve in the U.S. Air Force as a flight surgeon, if I'm not mistaken. And you currently, even most recently, volunteer with the Texas Emergency Medical Task Force to care for COVID patients earlier this year. In your experience, why do you think leading from the front has been beneficial? I think that, um, gosh, there's... There's a lot of reasons probably for that, but I think that the biggest one is that if, if your flight crews or Sam, you know, with my my airmen, um, 
if if they don't trust that I know the job that they're doing and what they're performing on a daily basis, then how do they trust me to give them advice and, and to lead them? So I tend to, I mean, I think I, I lead from the front as an example, um, not as someone who's showing off, but more as someone who's willing to get in, get their hands dirty. Um, this is a, a team sport, I think, that we all are involved in. This is not a one-person job. So if I'm simply sitting in the office and, and hoping that my crews are doing what they need to do and have what they need, then I think that that's naive. Um, and so I think that getting in and getting involved and leading, at least within the pack, for me, uh, is important. Um, I think that I have different roles. My roles with the Air Force, that's a totally different thing. As an officer in the Air Force, I'm expected um, to lead from the front. But again, I, if, if I don't give my airmen the tools to succeed and, and don't feel comfortable stepping back and letting them lead for themselves, then I think I'm, hurt, I'm hurting the Air Force and I'm hurting the organization. It's the same thing with my flight crews. Um, they should be able to expect me to be thrown in as a third crew member and ask me to do whatever they need for me to do. They should be able to delegate as if I'm just a regular team member on scene. I'm not there to take over calls. In fact, I just want to make sure that they have what they need, and I'd much rather be you know, going to get stuff for them or, or assisting them with the procedure. Um, so I, I think at times I leave from the front and don't realize it, but if anything, I'd, I'd much rather get in and get my hands dirty and and learn and work alongside my flight crews. You know, I think that's a common um, complaint from EMS field providers is that administration has lost sight, um, and maybe even in the hospital setting, right? The hospital's administrators have lost sight of what it is to care at the bedside or care at the scene, or we don't have the tools you alluded to it. And I think that's really important is to get in and, and do the job sometimes and see what is lacking or what those providers or field crew members or nurses, physicians, and in your case, residents, sometimes need, right? I think that's really important. So historically, our industry has been pretty male-dominated, um, and it gives me great pride to see women such as yourself in leadership positions in all fields, specifically medicine and emergency medicine, even EMS. Uh, you've been incredibly successful in your respective specialty and subspecialty, but what challenges did you encounter as a female, if any, rising through the ranks of our industry? Yeah, I mean, I think, so I saw, you know, you, you gave me a teaser of some of these questions ahead of time. I saw that one, and um, that's one I have to think about a little bit. You know, I think as as a successful female, we probably don't realize some of the hurdles that, that we've had to jump that maybe my male colleagues did not have to coming through. I think that a lot of females have different challenges than their male partners, and it could be related to family. It could be related to all kinds of things. For myself, you know, I, I think I've been incredibly fortunate to have really good female mentors and male mentors, honestly. Um, along the way, and that's probably been the thing that's eased me through this process. But yeah, I mean, getting to an administrative position that I'm in as a young female, I'm the only female that's ever held that position. I'm the youngest person to hold the position, and I'm the only ER position to hold the position. So I think there's a lot of new things that came along with taking the position of Memorial Hermit Lifelight. And I would be probably remiss to say that I wasn't incredibly fortunate to have really good female, strong female leaders and mentors along the way. Uh, but I can't pinpoint one thing in particular. I think that the hard work that goes into obtaining any goal, whether you're female or male, is is still present. Um, and I think that, you know, as a female leader, we all probably tend to push aside some of those things that, that may be a little bit easier for our male counterparts. And so I think if anything, you've, you've probably triggered me to start paying more attention uh, to to some of those uh, hurdles. Because I think as, as a female leader now, it's my responsibility to mentor uh, female physicians um, and med students that are coming through, and I need to be able to give them advice on on, on what's been difficult and what's been easy, and, and how do we tackle those, or how do we change the environment 
And I'm going to, I'm going to dovetail onto that. So you recently awarded women who inspires us among 2020 women uh, who mean business by the Houston business journal and no doubt a leader and inspiration to people all over, whether or not you know that or want to acknowledge that you really are, but especially those young girls who aspire to follow in your footsteps. How does it feel to hear and what advice do you have to give to them? Oh gosh. So that award is something that's, uh, that was unexpected. Um, you know, I'm only, you know, four and a half years out of residency and to, to get an award like that's pretty, uh, pretty incredible and humbling. It is definitely humbling to think about being, uh, viewed as a leader, um, among women in, in our city and a leader among physicians and, and pre-hospital providers in our city. You know, I, I was incredibly fortunate, um, in college to have, uh, a, a female mentor, Dr. Mary O'Connor, that was at that time, uh, the chief of orthopedics at the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, allowing me to shadow with her. And that completely changed my trajectory. I was not going into medical school. I was not going into emergency medicine. I was, I hadn't made any of those decisions for my life. In fact, I don't really have it. I don't think I had much of a plan for my life. If you can imagine that. Um, and, uh, she showed me what a strong leader in general looks like and what a strong female leader looks like in a, in a very male-dominated field of orthopedics. And so I was incredibly fortunate to see what that looks like. And it wasn't that she sought me out to be a female mentor, I don't think, uh, but she was able to show me by example what that looks like and what it looks like to be successful uh, and to work hard as a female in, in her field. So um, to now think that I've got that job and I've got that responsibility on my shoulders, that's that's a um, a heavy, I think a heavy lift. Um, but I also think that it, it comes with um, quite a bit of, you know, I'm excited. I'll say that. I'll just say I'm excited. Um, I'm excited to talk to, I interviewed residents yesterday who were looking at our program and for them to ask me, young females to ask me how, you know, I am, how I've gotten to where I am and those kinds of questions. I didn't expect those four years into my career, five years into my career. Um, but I, I take that responsible, that's responsibility you know, very strongly. And I'm, I'm excited to lead people. I'm excited to give people hopefully some decent advice about how I got where I am and, and hopefully also continue to show that I can continue to grow. This is not my peak or I hope it's not. That's not a good thing for my patients or my flight crews if I, if I sit back at this point. So um, continuing to find goals and achieve those and, and push other females uh, forward alongside myself. I think that that's, that's kind of the, the new task at hand and it's, it's, uh, it's incredibly humbling. And I think, so if you had, if you had to give a young female resident or even a young female paramedic, uh, who says one day I'm going to aspire to reach that level, one goal, one, one piece of advice, what would it be? One piece of advice. So I think it touched on one of them is, is find a good female mentor. It doesn't, it clearly doesn't have to be me. Uh, You're going to have a lot of phone calls. Yeah, I'll take them. My phone's off. Um, but find that person that motivates you, that challenges you, that doesn't always just say yes to you. Find someone that is able to give you good, um, constructive feedback and then be willing to listen to it. And I think that one of the, the most difficult things we have once we all go through this amount of schooling and education is we get done and we think that we know what we're doing. And if you're not able to take feedback and truly listen to it and integrate it into your job and your everyday life, and it's kind of worthless feedback. So find that person in your life that will motivate you and challenge you. And I think some of the best leaders that I've worked with um, are the people that can do that. And that can take feedback, whether it's from your superiors or your subordinates or your colleagues, um, and truly integrate it into your everyday life. And then find balance. You know, I think that we all work very hard to get where we are. But if you haven't balanced your personal life and your professional life and found um, things outside of 
this career that you've you know, created for yourself, then I think you'll burn out. And I think that most of us that are happy in our careers have, have found a balance, whether that be a balance at work. I work with EMS and in the emergency department. That balance is fantastic for me. But I also have to have things outside of work and, and work isn't, unfortunately, work is not the only thing that, that or fortunately, that makes me happy. And that's probably uh, something that I could have been taught um, earlier on in life in med school and in residency is that um, at the end of the day, your personal and mental well-being are as important as your patients. And honestly, they probably go hand in hand. I, I couldn't agree more. And oftentimes in EMS, um, we find providers that just this it consumes their life. And uh, especially with our schedules, right? You get this amount of time where you can be off days at a time. And so you supplement with another job. And then, and then that becomes your personal life is now your second professional life. And we do see a lot of burnout and tons of stress. Uh, and that's something we've talked about in some of our other podcasts. So um, over the years, what have you learned or had to adjust about your own personality, personality or leadership style to become more successful? Sure. Well, I think that one of the things that I just touched on is I had to learn how to listen. You know, I think type A personalities, um, as much as I hate to admit it, we think that we know everything, right? Or that's the initial knee-jerk reaction is that I know what's right. And uh, I think stepping back and realizing that maybe what I said is not right or, or being able to admit when you're wrong or being able to admit that maybe there's another solution or a better solution uh, is has been a, a learning curve for me. You know, I think we all go through and get professional degrees and, and feel ready to get out and hit the ground running. And, and um, we kind of forget that this is a, at least emergency medicine and EMS. These are, these are career fields that we have chosen that change on a daily basis. You know, if we're not continuing to learn and continuing to push ourselves and um, at least read the, the updated literature and uh, listen for me, listen to my colleagues, listen to my flight crews, and what they're saying and seeing, then I think we get complacent. And honestly, it, it ends up hurting our patients and ends up being detrimental to patient care. So I've had to learn how to listen. Um, and I think that a few years ago, if you had asked me that, I would have never admitted that. But I think that as, as a professional in my field, if I'm not constantly learning and pushing myself to learn and listen to those around me, honestly, or uh, usually more skilled or more adept at what they're doing, then, then I'm, I'm losing sight of, of the ultimate goal, and that's, uh, you know, incredible patient care. So listening is been my, my thing that I've been working on. I think I'm, I'm doing a better job of it. No one's perfect. You know, it's funny. I almost feel like you were talking to me personally right now because I, I, I think it's just instinct. It's a personality trait for me. It's just like I, I, I want to not listen. I, I have the answer. And even if it's the right answer, it's I didn't take in all your information. I didn't respect what you were trying to give to me. And that's something I too am working on. I really, I really want to be a better listener. And I think I alluded to it in one of the earlier questions is as a leader, as you grow, that's something that you really have to, to grow if you don't have that naturally. And that's something that I'm personally working on as well. Dr. Osborne, I do want to be respectful of your time. I'm going to open the floor up to you for you. Uh, any closing thoughts or anything you want to talk about in general? We, we have a few more minutes. If not, uh, I do appreciate you joining us today and talking about leadership. Yeah, no, I mean, thank you so much for having me, this is humbling to be asked to, to come in and do this. Um, I will say that, uh, you know, I am in the position I'm in because I've had the luxury of working alongside EMS crews that, that have taught me everything that I know. I'm an emergency medicine physician, and I not uncommonly learn more from my EMS crews than I do in the emergency department on a daily basis. It's, it's my ground crews and my flight crews that challenge me and push me and um, 
you know, if I'm not feeling uncomfortable, then I haven't learned something that day. And that's what I'm starting to get more comfortable with is that uncomfortable feeling. And, and how do I improve myself? How do I improve my crews? How do I improve patient care? And I think if we continue to keep patient care, you know, foresight, and, and I think I tell my crews this almost on a daily basis, if the decision you're making is the best decision for the patient, it may not be the exact same decision I made, but it's probably the right decision. And I think if we can continue to keep the right mentality about patient care and moving patient care forward, then I think, you know, we'll continue to enjoy being in our careers. So I find us all very lucky to be doing what we're doing. I think that during COVID, this is a different kind of stress that I've seen a resiliency come out of our EMS crews that I didn't know even existed. Um, so I'm incredibly fortunate to do what I do. I know that you probably feel the same way. Um, so I, if I ever get to the point where I'm not enjoying my job, I shouldn't be in this job anymore. Um, but I, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. So thank you for having me. I, I can't thank my crews enough. I can't thank you guys for doing what you're doing uh, on a daily basis. And, uh, and I, I think that our EMS providers that are listening to this podcast are going to appreciate what you just said uh, as an ER physician, because um, oftentimes they feel underappreciated. They feel like, um, you know, the QAQI process is beating them down or, or they get to the hospital and, and the nurse says, well, why did you guys do this or why did you not do that? So they have the support of an ER physician. Uh, I think they're really going to uh, enjoy hearing that. And then obviously keep growing, keep learning, keep expanding yourself both personally and professionally. Dr. Leslie Osborne, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we look forward to having you. You're welcome back anytime on our podcast. Perfect. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Fort Bend County EMS Training Division podcast. Fort Bend County EMS is providing this podcast as a public service and or for educational purposes, but it is neither a legal interpretation nor a statement of Fort Bend County EMS policy. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by Fort Bend County EMS. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by Fort Bend County EMS employees are those of employees and do not necessarily reflect the view of Fort Bend County EMS or any of its command staff. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact our chief of EMS via his administrative assistant or email us at clinical.division.ems at fortbendcountytx.gov.